But when you show up at nine months and you are about to pop and like you're jogging and you're doing jump lunges and whatever, people are going to look at you weird. Like you don't know what you're doing and that's not safe for your baby. And so you want to carry a sign that's like, I know this is safe for my child. Well, here we are, folks, another edition of the Run the Race podcast. Now it is the month of May, inching closer to summer. We talk on a weekly basis about fitness and faith. And on this episode, we're talking about uh, people who make the world go round. That's right. We're talking about moms celebrating them in the coming days for Mother's Day. We should be really celebrating them uh, throughout the year, every week. And uh, so uh, I have three very uh, special women in my life. Uh, my wife, Shanna, who uh, has been a mom for the last 19 years uh, with our two kids. And uh, my mom, who has been, uh, you know, uh, had me 46 plus years ago and uh, lives up in North Carolina. And then my mother-in-law, who doesn't live far from us here, and she's in her 80s. And uh, she is the uh, matriarch of a big family of five kids, 12 grandkids and more. So uh, they are just, uh, all three of them, amazing women. And, uh, you know, we are also talking to, uh, speaking of amazing women, a mom of two young boys, a one-year-old and a four-year-old. She is our guest for this week's uh, podcast episode. Also a physical therapist talking about uh, injuries. You know, I saw a meme the other day. It said, why isn't the answer to a running injury ever, just keep running a lot, it will go away. <laughs> because uh, for a lot of runners, that's kind of how it is. You want to just keep running. And uh, uh, Rachel Selman, our guest, uh, she actually has helped my son, my teen son, who uh, runs track and cross country for his high school. He's a senior now. But she's helped him through uh, several injuries over the last few years. Um, and uh, so we're going to talk to her about a, a host of things like balancing, um, you know, parenting and exercising before and after having kids. And, um, you know, one of her passions is a healthy balance with strength training, how that really leads to longevity in terms of working out and exercising, no matter what age you are, men and women. Uh, we talked to her about the most common injuries she sees, uh, how and if they can be prevented. Um, how being a mom now to these two young boys, how it's changed her perspective on faith in God and how it's more now about relationship versus religion. He's also uh, specialized a lot more now in women's health, specifically, you know, uh, when it comes to what you can and can't do during pregnancy and uh, also after pregnancy as well. So uh, looking forward to that conversation with her. Um, and, you know, I saw a, uh, a verse in the Bible recently. Uh, it talks, uh, you know, about women, about moms more specifically, perhaps. It's in Proverbs. It says, Proverbs 31, 26, it says, She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So, uh, you know, that that's, you know, it really, um, you know, puts... Moms uh, describes them so well uh, because they they have so much wisdom, and uh, you know sometimes they get frustrated. Sometimes I get frustrated as a dad, uh, as a husband. Uh, but really, you know, our the women in our lives, especially my wife and and uh, the mothers in our lives, really have so much patience. And, um, you know, they, they, they go through so much. So we want to celebrate them and lift them up. Uh, women like Rachel Selman who uh, got her uh, 
undergraduate in uh, chemistry, kind of a, a fortuitous route to, to being a, a physical therapist, got her bachelor's degree from the Georgia Institute of Technology, then went on to Mercer University in Georgia, where she earned her doctorate in physical therapy, and she got her postgraduate training for certification in dry needling through the Spinal Manipulation Institute and achieved the title of Certified Strength and Conditioning Coach through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. She is now actually working towards a certification as a CPSS, that's a performance and sports scientist. So we talked about how she's now going to be a scientist and doing that through the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Uh, she has been trained through the Herman and Wallace uh, area to, de- to deliver women's health physical therapy, including internal exams and biofeedback. And now, you know, she's had these two children of her own. She's particularly passionate about pregnancy and post partum care. So she has a lot of passion when it comes to that and about strength training and also now about faith and how, you know, uh, knowing how much love she has for her two sons, she's realizing how much uh, God loves us uh, no matter what, no strings attached. So here's my conversation about uh, injuries, motherhood, and more with Rachel Sim. now have a one-year-old and a four-year-old and you were talking about how you know you uh you run at home and also run when you're away from them as well so yeah i mean it's tough keeping up with them now i mean that's 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 two young kids Mm -hmm. young boys right yes two young boys so they're wild so i was just saying if i didn't run for fun i'd have to get running anyways just because (laughs) chasing them around the house it's it's never ending they're a lot of fun but they have way more energy than i do yes so Navigating that has been interesting. And you're getting more sleep now that they're a little older, hopefully? A little bit, yeah. My four-year-old still does not sleep fabulous, which is amazing <laughs> to me. My one-year-old actually gets the most sleep of anyone in the house. Um, so my four-year-old hopefully will get on track eventually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and when it comes to motherhood, I know uh, as, as a physical therapist, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, what you do to help folks overcome injuries and uh, the, the importance of strength training and, and balance and, uh, you know, what, what being a mom, what that's done for your faith. Mm-hmm. But first I wanted to talk about how, you know, motherhood and exercising, because, you know, you, uh, have been a runner off and on for a while. Mm-hmm. And so how, um, how has being a mother, how has that changed your idea or your ability to exercise, yeah. whether it be, you know, going to the gym or yeah. anything else? Um, I think for me, the biggest thing has been making time for it. It's something that I think would be very easy to just kind of write it off and say, like, I don't have time to do this. Um, And so you hear that, that phrase all the time, you know, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day, but I, I hate that saying because the, the Rachel that I am now does not have the same 24 hours that Rachel five years ago had. Um, So I look back at five years ago and I think, oh my gosh, I could have been like the best runner. I had all this time I could have dedicated to training and like, what did I do with Go to the Olympics. time? You know what I mean? <laughs> like you could do whatever you wanted. And now that I have kids and I work full time, it has really become for me more of making a schedule and making it truly like an appointment with myself um, and making sure that I can actually do that and work around the mom guilt that comes with like, okay, if I have an extra hour, do I go on a run or do I go hang out with the boys? And trying to schedule that has been difficult, but I have learned I'm such a better mom if I get that time in for myself every now and then. And so as much as I struggled at the beginning of motherhood in terms of like, I don't have time to do this. I need to be with my kids every waking moment of the day. 
as I get older, I've realized if I can schedule that time for myself and say, this is my hour and I'm going to go on this run or exercise or to work on strength, whatever it is that day, I'm a better mom when I go get my kids. And so they get the best version of me and that helps me obviously be the best version of me too. So um, that it's more about scheduling now than it used to be as opposed to just wake up on a Saturday morning and go to the gym. Now it's like, all right, I'm going to get up at six 30. I'll be back at seven 30. Like we'll trade boys. So I'll watch them while my husband goes and does his thing. So it's much more schedule based, but if we didn't do that, then we wouldn't get that in. So it's important. I think to schedule it now is what it's come down to in a team effort with your spouse yes. to come because I mean, cause the kids still need to be taken care of. Yes. And so I do miss sometimes the aspect of like he and I being able to go on a run together, but we just, that's not the season of life that we're in. So I tell myself, you know, when the boys are a little older and they can stay at home by themselves, we might go on a run together again. But <laughs> for right now, like I'll go do my workout and he'll pick early or I'll pick early. We'll have that discussion, you know, who's going to go first in the morning and I'll go and I'll say, this is about what I'm going to do distance wise, or, um, this is about when I'll be home and then we'll trade off. So I'll hang out with the boys while he goes and does <laughs> his thing. And, um, but we have those conversations and that allows both of us to get that in. And again, we come back better versions of ourselves, not just for each other, but for the boys. So it's been really, really an important aspect, not just of marriage, but motherhood as well. Yeah. And rewinding a little bit, you know, you were pregnant for a big chunk of mm-hmm. 20, I uh, would have been, uh, I guess, 2020 or 2021, mm-hmm. 2020, I guess. right? Yeah. In the, <laughs> the right pandemic. in the middle of COVID. Yeah, that was really interesting. You're stuck at home. So, yeah. so and, and after you have your second son, mm-hmm. um, you know, and people talk about the baby weight and even after, you know, you have your child. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you, did you get right back into running and exercising or did you kind of like, you know, uh, knew that you needed a little yeah. bit of a chance to kind of ease back in? Yeah. So this is something that changed for me really drastically between my first and my second and that this is part of why I do what I do for work now so with my first I was a physical therapist Um, I got pregnant at the time that I got pregnant I was doing a lot of resistance training so a lot of strength training not tons and tons of running not tons of cardio work but um, lots of strength training and so when I found out I was pregnant I immediately started looking around for answers about what's safe what's not like realizing, you know, that I didn't get a whole lot of that in PT school. Um, and so I had a great anatomy understanding, great orthopedic understanding, but when it came to pregnancy, like, I don't know what's safe, like, what can I do? What can I not do? Like, can I continue training the way I'm training or do I need to cut back? Um, and so I started reaching out to, you know, my doctor, some personal trainers that I knew. Um, and so I got really frustrated because the opinions were all super different. (laughs) So everyone had different input, you know, it went from, oh, continue doing what you're doing, you're totally fine. So it ranged from that to like, oh no, absolutely not. You've got to like chill out and cut back a little bit. Yeah, or it depends on this. Yes, and so it was super frustrating and Lord knows if you go to Google, like it gets even more frustrating. (laughs) And so it was like this really strange, like trying to navigate that. And then as a first time mom, just the anxiety that kind of comes with that, like, this is my first time being pregnant. Like, I don't really know what things feel like. And so not knowing day to day, like, oh, my heart rate, like my heart's kind of pounding today. Is that normal? Or is that because I exercised yesterday? And so not knowing what things felt like, not having great guidance. And the bottom line is the research even now is still really lacking on pregnancy, postpartum exercise. And so at that time, I tended to lean towards the more conservative advice because I was trying to be safe. And so at that time, which was only five years ago, my um, OB at the time was mentioning keep your heart rate below 140 and don't lift more than 25 pounds. So what we know now is heart rate has nothing to do with your activity level in terms of 
pregnancy while you're pregnant while you're pregnant because your heart rate is so different um and so we know now that that advice is out the window and the don't lift 25 pounds thing is completely out the window Mm. so both of the things that i was following during pregnancy and then the third is avoid i was told to avoid core work like so your core your abs are already going to separate so you need to avoid core work don't do sit-ups don't do crutches etc so i did all three of those things i was almost like religious about it for especially the first little bit and then what i realized so not getting above my, my heart rate above 140 meant like I can't go up a flight of stairs. You know what I mean? Wow. Like your heart rate was already elevated during pregnancy. Now we know that. And so the heart rate correlation to your activity level doesn't really matter anymore. But because that, because that was the advice that I got, I lost a lot of strength, a lot of endurance during pregnancy because I had to cut back so much from what I was doing. Yeah. And so at the time, like I was my one rep max for a back squat was like 200 pounds. And now you're telling me I can't lift above 25. I, you know, and I can't, I can't do 10 body weight squats without my heart rate getting above 140, much less go on a jog. And so I kind of stopped all these things, tried to find different things I could do that helped me stay within those parameters. But because that's where I started at pregnancy, cutting so far back for 10 months yeah, and then having a baby, by the time that I had my baby, Eli, my first, I was dying to go on a run. I was like, I have not been on a run in like 10 months. A year. Yes, it's been forever. (laughs) And so like by the time I had him, of course, you know, first two weeks are kind of survival mode, right? Like just get home. But after about week three, I started feeling like I'm feeling a little better. I feel a little more like myself. And so I talked to my doctor and asked if I could go on a run. And she said, yeah, just ease into it. And so I went on a run about three weeks postpartum after not having run for like 10 months. And during the run, this is where I get frustrated is during the run, it felt great. So the advice at the time is listen to your body. Yeah. I was listening to my body. My body was dying to go on a run. I went on a run. A 10 minute jog for me was taking it kind of easy. And so I went on this run and the whole run, I'm like, oh, it's so great. I'm so happy to be out here. Everything feels wonderful. I came back and I was miserable when I really? got back. Post run. Post run. So during my run, I felt great. After my run, I come back and I felt awful. I mean, so bad. I felt like, honestly, like my organs are like falling out. I mean, you're still bleeding at the time. Like, you know, everything, nothing's regulated. Your hormones aren't regulated. You know, if you have stitching that's not healed by three weeks, like it just is that, that we should not be running at three weeks postpartum. And I know that now. Uh, But basically that is what kind of triggered this whole transition into more of women's health PT world. I came home, did the thing that I tell patients not to do all the time. I got on Google, which had horrific, terrifying information in terms of like what I was experiencing. And essentially kind of told me, you know, given what you're, what, what you're going through right now, you probably should have surgery, but you shouldn't do that until you're done having kids. Well, this is my first kid. I'm 26 years old. I don't know if I'm done having kids. Does this mean I can never run again until I like am done having kids <laughs> oh, and have no, surgery? Oh, no. You know, you're already like hormones are crazy. You're up and down. Now you're super emotional because you feel like crap. And you're like, what did I do to myself? I just followed directions. I thought I was doing the right thing. Um, and so I texted my friend who's a pelvic PT up in Atlanta. And I was like, what's going on? Like, this is what I'm feeling. Like, what's happening to me? And she was like, oh my gosh, this is just, it's fine. You're okay. Take a deep breath. Like, here's some things to start working on. And I just kind of went back and forth with her on some things. And like within a couple weeks, I was completely different. I mean, I felt completely better. But none of that advice came from any of my providers at the time. None of that advice came from friends. All the advice you get from friends is like, you're active, you're gonna bounce back, this is no problem. And so when that didn't happen, 
I mean, I was like totally caught off guard. I was like three weeks postpartum. I'm going to be back to like doing everything that I want to do. And so during pregnancy, there was this weird dichotomy of let's be super conservative during pregnancy. Don't do anything, right? Take it super, super easy. And then after pregnancy, do whatever you want. There's no rules. You can kind of go from nothing to a hundred if you want to do that. There was no guidance on that. And so after I worked with her for a little bit, I kind of realized how lacking this area was in terms of offering, you know, mentorship like that. If you were a mom and a new mom and you're going through this, like who the heck do you talk to? Who do you go to? Yeah, you need like a specialist that's somebody that is passionate about that. Exactly. And the pelvic floor muscles, we know, like during PT school, again, I was a PT at the time. I just hadn't specialized. And so I knew from PT school, we didn't talk really about, I mean, maybe in our three years, we didn't, we talked about pelvic floor muscles for one morning. Um, and every other muscle we get really in depth. We talk about it a lot, but for these muscles, we don't really chat about them that much. It's more about like, okay, go specialize. And so with my second, I had specialized by then because I had had such that awful experience with my first, I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Cause there's no one really here that does that. And so I'm going to go do this. And then with my second, I did everything completely different. I mean, completely different. My pregnancy, I lifted my whole pregnancy. I went to Orange Theory the morning that I went into labor with him. I ran, I jumped, I did all the things um, because I knew what to do and what was safe and what wasn't. And that made all the difference in terms of recovery because now I didn't take 10 months off, right? I had days where I was like tired and I didn't do it or I might've modified here or there. But I stayed super active during those 10 months of pregnancy, maybe not first trimester, but after that, (laughs) I stayed super active. So then when I had him, again, I knew the healing process, right? Like from a surgical, if you were to have surgery, I didn't have a C-section, but from a surgical perspective, you would never tell someone to run like six weeks ACL repair, right? There's a process. You have your surgery, you go to rehab, you get stronger, you regain control, we talk about lunges and squats and things, and then you start running. Sure. So there's a process, and it, the same should apply postpartum. It's have the baby, recover, heal, work on strength, work on control, then we talk about running. So I didn't start running until 12 weeks postpartum as opposed to three weeks postpartum. Yeah. But my recovery and my return to what I felt like was more of my baseline running was so much faster because I stayed super active during pregnancy, so I maintained a lot of my fitness zero to six weeks i took it easy i know what to do what movements what stretches what strength work six to 12 weeks heavy focus on like strength pure strength not running not impact not jumping just lunging squatting things that are the baseline that you need to be able to do before you go to running then at 12 weeks introduce running right yeah. running's a hard thing for your body and i think we kind of take it for granted um because it just kind of happens but there's yeah. a lot going on with your body and so to go from, I'm not going to do anything for 10 months because I'm taking it super easy, to now I just pushed a human out of my body and I'm going to go on a jog. That's a big gap. <laughs> so big knowing leap. now, like by six months postpartum, I feel like my running was kind of back to where I wanted it to be. Where with my first, I really don't feel like I got back to running the way I wanted to until probably 16 months postpartum. Um, and I can even scroll back in my app and look at my like times and things. And I was running faster and more comfortably at six months postpartum with my second than I was at like a year and a half after my first because of the difference that I knew with from a musculoskeletal perspective with training so it's super important and then the 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 education is just not there yeah so there's still a lot of people like if you're I mean I'm just telling you if you go on a run at eight months postpartum people are going to give you judgy eyes yeah yeah (laughs) like that running on that treadmill at orange theory that morning I even texted my coach and I said listen if I leave during the the um workout today I'm okay. I just think I could be in labor, 
But I mean, early labor, you're going to go to the hospital and they're going to send you home and tell you to do something that feels good. Well, what feels good? Exercise. So I'm going to go exercise. But when you show up at nine months and you are about to pop and like you're jogging and you're doing jump lunges and whatever, people are going to look at you weird. Like you don't know what you're doing and that's not safe for your baby. And so you want to carry a sign that's like, I know this is safe for my child. Like, stop judging me. Yeah, yeah. Not only is it safe for my child, but it's safe for me. It's good for me. And now there's so much research coming out about how exercise during pregnancy, how that overflows to baby in terms of, like, decreasing risk of their future risk of diabetes. It helps them regulate their blood sugar, helps them regulate their heart rate. There's all these really good studies about how important that is for babies, if they are, if their moms are exercising while they're in utero. So we know how important that is now. We just haven't been able to translate that into here's a protocol of what you should be doing during pregnancy. So we just made one. Um, it's in peer review right now. Hopefully it will be published soon, fingers crossed. Um, but we made one because there wasn't one out there. So we're like, we're going to just make one because I'm kind of tired of women feeling like they don't know what to do. Yeah, de- debunking some of this stuff. And, yeah. and you've got, and I know here, especially like in a military town like this, we have a lot of um, young moms, maybe more mm-hmm. than most most communities. And we have mm-hmm. a thing here called Stroller Strong Moms. Mm-hmm. You see them out at the park yeah. almost on a daily basis. And you mm-hmm. see some with, you know, several kids and some that are like pregnant. They look like they're mm-hmm. seven or eight months along yeah. and they're out there. And you kind of think to yourself, you know, oh, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's good to, 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 to hear that from somebody that is an expert has studied it. And I guess probably having gone through those really rough times that probably sparked you, you maybe would not have gone and learned about that or no. specialized in that no. otherwise. And I know you also told me, you know, off, off mic that, um, another, your passion and you were talking about lifting versus running or, or both, uh, having that healthy balance with strength training. Like for me, I love running. Mm-hmm. I go running every day. I don't go to the gym as much as I, as should for mm-hmm. for core work or yoga or str- or lifting or whatever so w- what's the importance whether you know um you know you love to do the cardio or, or ellipticals or whatever um what's the importance of having that strength training because some people say well i don't want to get you know yeah. too too big and i just don't like lifting weights yeah. that kind of thing i get it um i think the the importance of it is the longevity thing so i always tell people like we're playing the long game when we integrate strength training so Strength training doesn't have to be super heavy weights. It doesn't have to be building tons of muscle bulk. There's ways that we can focus on getting stronger without getting heavier. So um, we can work on different phases of the muscle contraction or different positions in ways that will make you stronger, make you more able to support your body when you're out on a run without building tons of muscle bulk to where you're a heavier runner and you're having to carry that mass around, which can obviously slow you down. But the bottom line is, too, your speed comes from force that you put into the ground. So the more force you can put into the ground, the stronger you are, the better off you're going to be in terms of your speed. You get to be a more efficient runner. So, you know, if you're running three miles and then you're doing a bunch of strength training, then essentially running that three miles, but you're running it easier. So it feels effort wise, half the effort because you're stronger. You have less work to put that force into the ground because you've got more muscle behind it. You become more uh, efficient. And more efficient, exactly. And then just having the support that you need. I mean, the bottom line is that when we're running, our body interprets that force into the ground as about two to three times of our body weight. So we think, oh, running's a body weight activity. But if you were to ask your knee or your foot or your ankle, how much body weight do you feel like you're experiencing when I'm on a run? When your foot hits the ground, it's experiencing more like two to three times your body weight. Um, so training in a, in a way that gets your body prepared for that and for long miles and for things where you're having that repetitive like push into the ground, that's a lot to ask of your muscles. And so 
just from what I do, I know runners like to run. They don't want to do other things. They want to go on a run. That's where my escape is. But even just integrating like one or two days a week where you can kind of focus on things that you can do to help build muscle can encourage that longevity so that we don't get not just burn out mentally on running, but burn out physically on running where we start to see those like tendonitis, tendinopathy, overuse type injuries um, to help kind of prevent that. So that's where the strength training comes in is more of a thing that I want to see runners do just so that they don't have a short running career. I want to really encourage running as long as we can. And the older we get, I always tell my patients, like if you stop running from an injury, the older you get, the bottom line is the less likely you are to restart running. So you don't know if you get injured, is that the last time that I'm gonna go on a run because now I'm stopping running because I'm injured versus if I do that strength training, that kind of just increases that longevity a little bit so that you can continue to run as long as you want to run. Yeah, and at Benchmark Physical Therapy, what what are some of the most common injuries that y'all see? I mean, it could be from just mm-hmm. work-related stuff or yeah. running or just you know age and mm-hmm. overuse. What are, what are some things that you, you guys see the most, you think? So a lot of it is we do treat a lot of pregnant postpartum women who are wanting to continue to run or return to running safely around baby. Um, just because of obviously what kind of I've been through, that's a market that I've really like tried to target because I think it's super important. But then outside of that, just our general orthopedic population, I would say it's largely like hip, knee, tendonitis, like what we call tendinopathy. So tendonitis would be more like an acute injury. So it's been going on less than three months. Tendinopathy is more where the, the tendon itself starts to change. So if you've been having like that knee pain on the front of the knee for like more than three months, then that's kind of a different treatment approach. It's more of a tendinopathy, uh, more chronic thing versus something that's been going on for a really short amount of time. Um, so that's kind of what I see, especially with my runners the most, or like knee, Achilles, kind of those muscles that we use a lot during running, that there's a big demand on them. And so kind of trying to tone that down, I am really big about I don't, especially with my runners, I don't like to tell you to stop running because honestly, the times that I've told people to stop running, they just run anyway and then they don't tell me. (laughs) So I feel like runners in general, I mean, it's just, it's the mentality of being a runner, right? You want to push through the pain. That's what running can be about sometimes is learning to navigate. This stinks, but I'm strong enough that I can push through it. When that turns into physical pain, that can be a different animal and learning to kind of listen to that and like work around it. So generally there's very rarely a case where I tell people stop running while we work on this. It's more, you can continue to run, but we're going to have to work around this in this way. But I've learned, especially again with running community, and I understand this just from a subjective perspective, I don't want to quit running either. If you tell me to stop running, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to, I'll cut back a little bit. Or if you give me options, I'll try that. But if you tell me to stop completely, then I'm just going to sit at home and be upset about it. And I probably will end up going on a run and just not telling you. So I've learned that now. Um, but it's mostly like tendonitis, tendinopathy, overuse type injuries. I joke that most of my patients right now, it's not me having to encourage them to exercise. It's me telling them like, hey, we got to back off just a little bit and navigate it this way for a little bit short term so that we can talk again about that long game. Yeah. And you hear, you know, from athletes and pro sports that like if you're not hurting or if you're not kind of really kind of bleeding and that you're not doing it. You're not, you're not really pushing your body, pushing yourself to the, to the limit. And, um, you know, so sometimes that happens. Like for instance, my son with a hamstring tendonitis and he, you know, um, at least had the wherewithal to know that like, listen, I can't run for like a month or five weeks. Mm-hmm. And that, and that kind of, you have to kind of swallow your pride and just figure out that like, listen, if I don't run for this amount of time, then I'll, I'll hopefully reap the benefits down the road. So, um, is that something that you find that sometimes that rest, 
rest is part of the prescription, I guess. Yeah, it rest and then again, just kind of working around it. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, if endurance runs are the problem, then maybe we work on intervals for a little bit. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we can't find ways that will not feed you long term and get you faster and get you more efficient. It just means we need to work around what the actual problem is for a little bit. And there are very rare situations where I might say, hey, give me two weeks. Just don't run for two weeks. Maybe we bike or we can maintain cardio. Cross-training, swimming. Exactly. There's a reason that that exists and why it's a component of most serious running training plans is because running is hard on the body. And I think for a lot of my runners, too, we have to have the discussion of, like, not every run has to end feeling like you've given it everything you've got. In fact, it shouldn't feel that way every time we go on a run. Kind of talking about that no pain, no gain mentality that I think a lot of runners really fall into. And it's not because you know, they're wrong or they don't understand their bodies. It's just because that's like what a lot of running is about um, and navigating that. And so kind of encouraging you, like when you go on a run, listen, like you don't have to end every run at your max heart rate feeling like you couldn't give another second. I want most of our runs, like 80% of our runs to feel like you end your run. And really, if you needed to, you could run further if you really, if you really needed it. Um, And that's how we build that good baseline, that good foundation, because from like a pyramid perspective, we can only go up as far as we can go wide. So if we don't have a good base and if we're spending every single run, giving it every single thing we've got, then we're ending up like at the top of that pyramid over and over and over. And eventually that will start to crumble because we don't have a great foundation. Um, So for like Zach's case, him being able to say like, hey, my hamstring doesn't feel good and I need to get this taken care of. That lets us treat that in such a shorter amount of time versus if he says, you know, my hamstrings bother me, I'm going to push through it for, you know, six months to get through this season, everything, you know, is hurting, but I'm not going to back off. I'm just going to suck it up and push through it. You're looking at more of like a year long treatment plan to get this actually under control. So being able to catch it on the front end. And again, that allows me as a PT to say like, okay, this is early. We're going to calm it down quickly. And not only are we going to calm it down quickly, but because it's early, we can find workarounds. If we keep going and we keep pushing and we keep cranking through that pain, it gets more and more and more likely that eventually we're going to have to shut that down for a little bit back off completely so catching it early getting assistance with it early and understanding that that doesn't always mean that we're going to tell you you can't (laughs) (laughs) and you're talking about the pt element and once you get injured this is what you do and this is some different things you can deal with and how long it could take but what about the are are a lot of these injuries preventative i know you talked about overuse Mm -hmm. and so in in terms of how do you know you know when you've gone too much and and are there like in terms of like whether you're a tennis player Mm -hmm. playing basketball Mm -hmm. a runner whatever else are there things that you can do to, to try to maybe prevent having to go to the doctor. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's where I think that strength strength training component comes in. And so you don't want to wait until you get an injury to start that strength training because strength training is what's going to, again, build that solid foundation. So you think about building a house, you've got to have good bones on the house. Same thing. Um, strength training is going to build that bone density. It's going to increase uh, tissue resiliency. It can increase the thickness of the tendons, the efficiency, the springiness of those tendons. So not only is it going to help set you up for success long term, but it's going to help you again be a more efficient runner, which means you go on those runs. You don't have as much demand on your body because your body knows exactly what it's doing. It knows how to use the muscles at the right time. It's used to seeing forces that are more than just body weight. Because again, we think of running as a body weight exercise. It's really not. It's not what our body's experiencing when it's going through it. So when we train with more than body weight, our body knows how to respond to that when we go on a run. So those strength training programs can help set you up for success again in longevity, even if you're not having pain. 
And is this mostly, you know, you recommend that the, the core is the most important thing or there are certain body parts that like, okay, if, if here's my top three that you need to really focus on when you do quote unquote strength training. Core's know? great. Um, core, I mean, it's, it's kind of the base of everything. So again, you talk about that foundation, obviously that's super important. The thing that I find the most with core is people are training core the wrong way. Um, there's superficial core, which would be like your six pack muscles. So that's like your crunches, your sit ups, that kind of stuff. But there's also deep core. So the deep core muscles are ones are especially during pregnancy, postpartum. Those are the ones that take a big beating. Um, and so that's why I think a lot of women during pregnancy and postpartum end up with like back pain, hip pain, things like that, because they're not training core the right way. <laughs> I think the traditional core stuff that's out there right now, it's, it's, it's all driven towards six pack aesthetic performance and not actually looking at from a running performance perspective are we actually using the core the way that it's meant to be used so i think usually kind of having someone talk you through like what does it mean to get to my deep core versus my superficial core super super important so that deep core definitely is a good component of it but then to the hips i mean the hips are our powerhouse so like there's a quote from uh nfl strength and conditioning coaching talks about how if you're if your glutes are, are weak, you're, you're unemployed, like you're not getting paid. So those NFL guys, I mean, they are working their glutes and their hips, because yeah. again, that's your powerhouse. And I think runners generally, especially my female runners, just because the way that our pelvis is shaped, we're doing a lot of quads. So people love quads. We love to work on quads. We know how to work on quads. We don't really do a great job hitting the glutes, even in squats and stuff. So it's really easy for us to like heavily rely on quads it's not as easy to get that strength work going in the glutes. So again, the stronger those glutes are, the less demand we see down the chain, which I mean like down the leg. So the more strong, stable, et cetera, our core and our hips are, the less our knees and our ankles have to do. So the less like tendonitis we see in the hamstrings or the um, quads, the less tendonitis we see in the Achilles and the ankle. So good, strong core, good, strong, stable glutes. I kind of explained it to patients like firing a canoe from a cannon or firing cannon from a canoe. So basically like <laughs> if you've got a good strong core, good strong glutes, you're firing that cannon straight off straight off the shore. It's on a stable surface. If you put that same cannon on a boat in the middle of the water and fire it, I mean when it fires, you are all over the place. So it's the same thing when you're running. If those springs are not on top of each other, if we don't have a good stable foundation, you're going to get compensation somewhere and usually usually it's going to be the near the ankle, which is why you see so much like hamstring tendonitis, patellar tendonitis, Achilles tendonitis, like just everything down the chain compensating. So good, strong core, good, strong glutes. And then I think people forget about the feet. There's a lot of muscles in the feet. And so you hear a lot, especially running community, and this changes every couple of years about the overpronation or supination, mm -hmm. you know, that that gets criminalized as like, oh, you're an overpronator. Oh. Like, that's just terrible. You need stability shoes. Yes, get these that, great yeah. strong arch supports. But if you watch like really good runners, if you took their shoes off, there's going to be a varying degree of pronation in regards to that. Pronation is important. It's our ability to absorb force. So we need that ability to flatten our feet, splay the toes, absorb force from the ground, and propel ourselves forward. So I think a lot of the shoes that are out there today and a lot of the arch supports that are out there today don't really let us do that very well. Um, and that's why you hear about these like barefoot runners who are like just absolute beasts. And not only are they beasts, they're running forever. They're like in their 70s, <laughs> like running, you know what I mean? But they have strong feet. They're super strong core. So I think we kind of forget about the feet sometimes. Um, but you're talking like top down and bottom up. That's both important. So your feet are the first thing to hit the ground. So if they're not absorbing force well, propelling you well, there's a lot of little muscles in there. And then again, you start to see that compensation up the chain. So up into the Achilles, up into the knee. So really like core, hips, feet would be kind of my big three. 
um, that you really can focus on in terms of injury prevention, in terms of efficiency. And just to quote another expert, uh, Shakira, that they hips don't, <laughs> hip, hip, hips don't lie, right? Very, very important. <laughs> very important. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, you, uh, we talked earlier about you being a mom and how um, for you, you know, you've uh, been a woman of faith, you know, parts of your life. And, but, um, you know, now having a, a one-year-old and a four-year-old boy, um, it's changed your perspective on, on faith and on God. And like, you know, because obviously, you know, if, if you're a believer, you know that God loves us you know, unconditionally. And we can't really, it's hard for us to wrap our head around that. But then when you have, you know, um, a, a son or a daughter of your own, you're like, okay, well, then I can understand that I'll do anything for them. So how has that changed for you, your idea of kind of uh, the, the spiritual realm? Yeah, I think, I mean, I grew up in like a Southern Baptist church. And so we grew up in church, you dress nice, you go sit on the pew and you, you know, read out, you sing out of the hymnal and everything's very structured. And so it was very, um, very much a religion, like growing up in a strict, not strict religion, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just very, yeah, absolutely. And um, so kind of grew up in that and, you know, that had kind of ebbs and flows, like sometimes feeling like I was super into that and then sometimes feeling that like that would drop off. And now, since having kids, understanding that it's not just religion, it's truly a relationship and understanding, like, as a parent, I look at my kids, like, I would do anything for them. And watching them hurt is terrible, Um, but knowing that that sometimes is important for them and it's important for their growth and understanding that God is probably up there being like, this is the same thing I've been trying to tell you for 30 years. (laughs) Like when you're going through something and you're pitching a fit about it because you don't like it. And you ask why God? Yes. And you say, why is this happening to me? You know, why are you doing this? And I think about this in particular, Eli last year busted his lip open. Um, He fell and his lip busted and we had to go to the hospital and it was during COVID. And so only one of us could go in. So I went in with him and we went to the hospital i didn't realize there was a pediatric er so we just went to the normal er and um, they had to stitch his lip and it i mean it messed me up like i was torn up about it but we're in the hospital they have him like papoose in a sheet and he is screaming for me obviously i mean screaming they have this giant needle they're about to stick into his little lip and so they can stitch it up to numb it up and, um, I mean, everything in me wants me to get him off that table, rescue, yeah, save him and get him out of this hospital and take him home. But I know this is what you need. This is what's good for you. And I got home. First of all, I got home and told my husband, you have to take him for a little bit. I have to go sit in the closet and cry. <laughs> um, but then I got home and I just started thinking about like, I wished so, so much in that moment I could take him, you know, 10 years from now and say, Eli, like, this is what, this is what we were looking at. Like, it was right across like the pink part of his lip. We didn't want a giant scar. We were trying to like, you know, do it as clean as possible. So he didn't have a big scar on his lip for the rest of his life. And you want to just say like, this is why I'm having to do this. And I know you don't understand that now, but like, it's because of these things in the future. And then putting that into practice with my relationship with God, where I'm like, I don't understand. I don't like this. I'm not happy about it. And he's probably up there saying like, Rachel, if you could just, see like what I have in store for you in the future and you can just trust me in this moment I want to rescue you I don't want you to suffer I don't like this either but if you will trust that I know what's best and trust that I as your heavenly father know what's coming then that will make this easier to kind of process and so that I mean having kids change the game but for some reason that moment in particular 
really like changed the game for me in terms of like, okay, this is a relationship. It's not just a religion. We just don't go to church on Sundays. It's, you know, this is a, a, a back and forth. And so it's not just this random, obscure, vague uh, figure that's up in heaven and is kind of like looking down at us. It's He wants good things for us. He understands that sometimes we're going to have to suffer to get those things, but he's willing to do that because he knows that's what will what will change us long term and he knows what's best. And so like just trusting that and passing that off. And so I try now when I'm in those situations of I don't like this. Why are you doing this to me? This could be different. You could fix this. He could fix it. I could have scooped Eli off the table. Yeah. But that's not what you need. Right. right. Um and so that kind of just totally shifted it for me. And that's, and that's probably one of the biggest obstacles for folks is because we all have, want to have some sense of control. Mm-hmm. We want to know what's next. We want to know. And that some, sometimes that's a lot how, how it is for runners because you know that, okay, I can control this. I can go out and run for one hour and it's kind of in my wheelhouse, that kind of thing. So, I mean, do you feel like, you know, as, as now a mom and, and you, you know, obviously want to have control of, of, you know, kind of the house and the kids <laughs> and make sure everybody's in a bubble and safe um, is, is that the letting go part when it comes to God is... Is, is is a secret ingredient, I guess. It is, and it's something that I think I'm having to learn it takes practice. It's not something that I think comes, to me especially, not naturally. I like to have control of things. I like to know what's coming. I like to have clothes laid out for the next day. This is the day we do laundry. This is the day we do the trash out. I like to like have all these things in order. And motherhood in itself did that. Like That kind of threw that out the window. Like That structure that you think you're going to have as a mom and as a parent there's days where it just doesn't happen. The kids are nuts. Everyone's like tired. It's just, there's some days that structure falls apart. So having a strong relationship with God and being able to see, you know what, this is fine. It's okay. (laughs) It's a season. We're all good. Let's take a deep breath. That has kind of helped feed into that too. But learning to give that control away in terms of both just motherhood and religion has been tough. And so it's something I think I didn't realize I would have to work at on such a regular basis, but I find myself working at it daily. Um, I have a little, I like tell myself motherhood is tough, but so am I. And I just have to like repeat that motherhood is tough, but so am I. Motherhood is tough, but so am I. Cause there's some <laughs> days where it's like, I'm not going to make it through this. Like yeah. the house is going to fall apart and the boys are going to fall apart and I'm going to fall apart. Um, and sometimes we do fall apart and it's okay. That's where we say, I know I'm not in control and I, the more that I let go of that and let God have that, but also work on my end of things to do as much as I can to put us in a good position to where God can help finish that process for us and be that peace for us that kind of helps us hold everything together. The more that I practice that, the easier it gets. So I think for me, it was one of those things where you like think that you're going to be super spiritual and you say, okay, like let go and let God and it just happens and everything's beautiful and the sky is open and the angels sing down and realizing like you have to kind of wake up every day and like work on that and yeah, like, make it make a decision yeah yes and so like learning little things every you know couple of weeks where I'm kind of like okay this house does not we we don't serve this house this house serves us so when our house is a wreck that's fine it serves us we don't serve it and we're not going to take my time that I could be spending with my boys cleaning baseboards because I don't like the way that they look today. That's not what it's important right now. But that internal struggle is something that I have to work on regularly. So I don't think I was prepared for that and that to be something that I have to work on so regularly, but it does seem like it gets a little bit easier 
as time goes on. And speaking of that, from a, from a women's health perspective, mm-hmm. as a as a physical therapist, as a mom also, but a physical therapist and a soon to be uh, performance and sports scientist, I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the appropriate title. Um, so, what would you say, you know, in terms of because you have a lot of different clients, and like you said, you specialize in dealing with a lot of women who maybe are pregnant or after pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say about the importance? And you talked earlier about kind of setting uh, kind of a date on the calendar for yourself to go running or go to the gym or whatever else. But how how important is it to be active as a mom mentally and and um, physically and emotionally to be able to kind of go and hey, this is for me. You know, go out and you know hit the treadmill or go out and play some tennis with my friends or something like that. I think the first thing that's most important is finding something that you actually enjoy. So like I enjoy working out, but I understand that's not everyone's thing. There's some people who don't like doing that. So it doesn't have to be just go to the gym. It can be like you said, go play tennis with some friends or do something that's just active. And I think what has happened too with the shift to motherhood is it becomes to me less about aesthetics. It's not, I'm working out to look good. Now it's, I'm working out to feel good. I want to feel my best for my kids. I want to have the energy that I can keep up with them. Um, and then I also think really long term is so important. Like I think about, I almost laugh at that like 25 pound recommendation when I was told not to lift more than 25 pounds during pregnancy, because with my second pregnancy, I've got my 30 pound toddler. He wants to be carried everywhere. So like, what do you do? You know, if you're still following those, those recommendations, how am I supposed to carry my kid? It doesn't make sense. How do I get him to his bed? He wants me to carry him and I'm not going to say no. I have a limited time in life where I'm going to get to carry him to bed. And so, like, knowing that I'm not trying to be strong so that I can, like, get to a certain number on a barbell. I'm not trying to be strong so that I can, like, show off to my friends. I'm trying to be strong because I want to carry my grandkids around. <laughs> Survival. Like, I want to take my grandkids yeah. up and down the stairs. I want to pull them in a wagon. I want to be able to walk around the neighborhood with them. And when my kid's 10 and playing soccer, I want to go out there and I want to kick the ball around and feel like I'm not, like, winded from running from one side of the field to the other. So understanding the functionality of exercise and how that goes so far beyond just, I think, what our general culture says that exercise is um, from that aesthetic perspective is it's not just I want to like exercise so I can look good and so I can eat another donut or whatever that, that kind of messaging is. I want to exercise because I understand now, too, how important it is for me to get strong now. And if I get strong now, it sets me up for success later. I don't want to wait until I'm 65 to decide, like, I need to get stronger when those muscle fibers change. And we know that from an anatomy physiology perspective, those muscle fibers, it gets harder. Um, women go through menopause and our hormones change and those hormones affect our recovery. They affect, they affect our endurance and our um, strength fibers. And so if you can strengthen those now as a 30 year old, when technically I wouldn't have to go to the gym if I wanted to be able to carry my toddler, I could do that. But I understand that like the long-term effects of me doing it now, when it's not necessarily needed versus like waiting until, oh crap, I really need it. I can't get my kids up and down the stairs or I can't, you know, I have to pause halfway up the stairs because I'm winded today. Like understanding that it's so much more functional than just aesthetics and then the mental health aspect like I said I'm a better mom because I exercise and because I set that time aside for myself and I leave the gym feeling good I texted my husband after my run today and I was like that was a really good tempo run and I go back to work and I'm energized and I feel good and some days it's hard like some days I have a run and I'm like that was kind of crappy but that also is a lesson. It teaches me like that, that run wasn't great, but what is my body trying to tell me today? What can I do to set myself up for success later? So the mental aspect of it flows over into the motherhood aspect of it, of that was a hard run, 
but I got through it. And today's a hard day in terms of motherhood, but I got through it. And that overflows into its functional and its mental. And it's not just all about the marketing that especially towards women is pushed towards. How do you look? Are you skinny enough? Like, did you eat too many calories today? Go run that off. Go get on the treadmill until you burn off that extra can Feeling of Feeling guilty. Yes, yeah. exactly. So understanding this is a way to treat my body and to give my body what it deserves. And the spiritual aspect of that is my body is a temple. God gave this body to me. And part of me being able to do his work on the ground is taking care of myself and being able to serve other people. And you can't do that if you're not serving yourself. Um, You can, but you burn out and you end up with an empty cup. And so when I feel like I can pour into myself that way, then I feel better capable to pour into other people. Yeah, and food is fuel. I mean, I I, I run a lot because I know that, hey, listen, I can eat what I want Mm -hmm. and have all those miles under my belt. And one last thing for you, uh, I know that now that you're kind of getting back into running more and more and kind of, you know, uh, doing that more and getting confidence, I I understand, I think, I'm not sure how recently, but you you talked about enjoying running, but when when you run with people, that makes it even more enjoyable. I think you recently did a Ragnar uh, relay. Mm -hmm. You were the only female female on an all-male team <laughs> so they invited you in you must have been uh, good uh, so what was what's what's that like I mean, because that you know I, I know I don't know if you do more road running but that's more I think tr- is that trail running or trail, yeah, okay. Ragnar's yeah, trail. yeah. Um, but yeah there's the camarad- camaraderie of understanding like being around other people and we kind of were joking like you know you're out there at two o'clock in the morning because it's yeah. through the night and like something's wrong with us like we're, we're all, you know no one really like wants to do we this, right? for this yeah exactly you kind of question yourself but like that camaraderie and like everyone kind of understanding and it's it's fun because you know we've got a group text we're texting during training like what are you guys doing this week who's tapering who's not like who's pushing themselves this week who's not like just having that that kind of like other people to bounce ideas off of and like hold each other accountable yeah. um and then again it just makes it more enjoyable i think and so Literally, we came back from the trail run, and that next day we made we were texting with a couple people in the group, and where are we going next? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing next? So it, it just holds you accountable as opposed to when it's just you. And again, it's one of those things. Like again, with the group text, like when you go on a run, I'm gonna send you a screenshot. Here's my run. Here's what I did today. You know what I mean? As opposed to if you just do it yourself, and you're kind of like, oh, I'm gonna take it kind of easy today, and then you don't send it to anyone. You know what I mean? So it just yeah. holds you accountable. And again, that mental health component of just like this is kind of like that social aspect because that's important like god designed us to want to interact with other people and then to be able to combine that with that physical aspect of like physical health um i think is is really important and so for me and being the only girl on that team one of the things that i was thinking about was like there's so many moms that are one year postpartum who don't feel like they can go on those kind of runs because they haven't gotten the care they needed you know they've got low back pain they've got hip pain they're having stress incontinence they're having leaking when they go on a run pelvic pressure but when you go and you talk about these things, you know, they're not, they're, they're kind of one considered taboo, but then two, the treatment options are not great. And so you talk to, you know, your providers and they say, Oh yeah, you're a mom. Like, sorry. Like that kind of is part of motherhood, you know? And we joke about like, you go to the trampoline park and you have leaking and things like that, but people don't understand that there's options to fix that. And so I just felt super like grateful and blessed as, as a mom and doing what I do, I'm on a freaking trail run, like a 24 hour trail run. And I've got a one-year-old and I'm having absolutely no symptoms. I'm, I'm having a, I say, quote, good time. I'm having a good time running <laughs> at three in the morning with a bunch of my guy friends. But I understand that for a lot of women, that's why it, it gets difficult to stay in running, to stay in sports. But like 
when you take that away from people, it's not just physical. It's not just, man, I can't run anymore because I have symptoms when I run. Well, now it's like, okay, well, I'm fatigued. I don't feel like I can keep up with my kids really well. I don't have that mental outlet anymore. And so it's not just taking away the physical component. You take away the camaraderie of being able to do things like that. And now I don't have my outlet that I used to have. Because when I go on my runs, now I'm just frustrated. I have all these <laughs> symptoms and I don't feel good. And no yeah, one's giving yeah. me options and how to deal with that. Um, and so I think it's one of the things that we write off and we say it's normal. And it's certainly common, super common. But it's definitely not normal. So knowing that there's options to, to do that, I think is super, super important. And I always tell women when I discharge them, like when we're done working together and they're doing everything they want to do, I'm like, the best thing you can do is pay it forward. Go tell somebody. Like, listen, I go, I went on a run and I don't pee on myself anymore. And that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like just yeah. understanding like, hey, that's really cool. I didn't know you could fix that. Yeah, no one's ever said that before. Um, and so that gives you back that ability to participate in those physical activities and then again the physical activities allow you to get improve mental health improve your social health like all of those things kind of tie together so if you take one away then you lose the others so i was really really lucky to be able to do that um because of what i do but had i not do what i if i didn't work in the field that i work in i probably wouldn't have been able to do that so i'm really really lucky that that worked out that way yeah now one so uh who wins a race between you and your husband (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, it depends on trail. He definitely, he definitely dusted me on the trail. I'll give him that. Okay. Trail, trail but it depends on the piece. distance on the road. Depends perhaps. on the distance on the road. Okay. Like I'm, I'm a better endurance runner, but okay. uh, he's quick and he's. I will tell you, his mental strength is definitely better than mine. Ah. He's like, I, I will. He's got that engineer him. mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. He can kind of zone out, and I will train like twice as hard as him, and he still will beat me, and then I get frustrated. Um, so trail run, he definitely dusted me, but we've got a 10K coming up in July, so he doesn't know this yet, but he's my he's my competition. So. Nice. Oh, maybe if you listen, it's on the road. To, if yeah. you listen to this podcast, yeah, it won't know. be a secret. Yeah, I just outed myself. <laughs> all right. Thanks very much, for uh, Rachel, for your time. I yeah. appreciate it, and uh, good luck. And, and thank you for all that you do for, for women's health and for, for people across the community, you know, helping them to get back to uh, where they can you know, hit the road again, yeah. right? Yeah. Thanks for having me. And by the way, her Ragnar relay team we just talked about, uh, they were called Medical Morons. And they actually placed fourth place overall out of 140 teams. Again, she was the only female in a, a, very, a pretty com- very competitive, you see, male team, all other males besides her. So she, uh, she can hold her own uh, amongst women and men. Congrats to uh, Rachel Selman for that and wish her the very best as a mom and as a PT, and uh, she's helping out a lot of folks, uh, men and women for sure. Uh, Now on to our final segments of the podcast, including uh, a song that I uh, recently sang as a tribute to my wife and figured it'd be good to, to, you know, as as a tribute for Mother's Day and also a parting gift from the Bible that uh, it's connected to moms. So here's a little snippet of something I recorded um, as a as a gift uh, months ago for my wife, uh, who we're going to be celebrating in a few months, our 22nd wedding anniversary. Uh, she is an uh, unbelievably great mom who uh, who you know we've been through a lot in our lives as parents, but so have a lot of you as well. Um, so this is a song from Billy Joel that came out actually released first back in 1971 called She's Got Away, um, and it's uh, really a, a, a showing that uh, he's mesmerized by this woman, has adoration for her, 
Uh, so here's a, a little bit of, of me singing it in, in a studio here in town uh, with the help of someone that I did a Christmas extravaganza episode with. And um, it's called uh, Bip City Sound. So here's, here's some of my sound. She's got a smile that heals me I don't know why it is But I have to laugh when she reveals me She's got a way of talking I don't know why it is But it lifts me up when we are walking me when I'm feeling down inspires me without a sound she touches me I get turned around again a tribute uh, that to my wife Shanna and also a real tribute to all moms because uh, they, they have a way for sure and you now Billy Joel he had some mixed feelings about that kind of cornball song he said I quote I had trouble singing it at first, then I got into it and decided everybody has a corny side, I suppose. Uh, Don Henley actually sang that song, She's Got Away, as a tribute to Joel when he was awarded the uh, Kennedy Center honor back in 2013. Parting gift now, uh, you know, Jesus has a way as well. And uh, it talks in Proverbs 31, 31. It says, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So we need to honor the women in our lives. Um, you know, your mom, your wife, um, your daughter as well, uh, all those women. Um, and uh, because they've done a lot of work that uh, maybe goes underappreciated a lot of times. Closing now in prayer for this uh, Run the Race podcast, which you can find all the previous 106 plus episodes on WTVM.com slash podcast. Make sure you go on there, share it, tell your friends about it. Uh, closing now in prayer. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to talk about you, to talk about you know fitness and how we can overcome and prevent injuries. And, and uh, we just thank you, Lord, for the women you put into our lives uh, that put up with us. And um, Lord God, we know that that you, um, you hold women uh, to to a high standard, and and uh, the moms and wives in our lives that we uh, really truly appreciate uh, their love for us, that we can show that compassion and kindness to them, um, you know, unconditionally, uh, like your love for us, Jesus. In your name, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much again for uh, choosing Run the Race. You got a lot of a lot of things to listen to in podcast land. Uh, this one's on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple, uh, and if you're on that version, the Apple Podcast, go on there at the bottom and and click on five stars if you like this podcast and give me some feedback. You know, a few sentences, write, write a quick review there. Tell your friends about it. Use hashtag Run the Race. I also have a new Facebook page called Run the Race uh, where we'll have uh, kind of daily motivation and inspiration when it's related to fitness and faith and this podcast as well, talking, uh, giving some throwbacks as well. So uh, looking forward to that. And uh, hopefully you heard my, my last few episodes, one with uh, Survivor contestant Ethan Zahn 
talking about running the Boston Marathon as a 10 years being a cancer survivor, and also a local pastor talking about kind of what comes next after Easter, uh, talking about restoration and how we should reach out to everyone and have excellence in church no matter when it is, not just at Easter. So hopefully you can listen to those episodes. And thanks again to Rachel Selman for joining me. So until next time, y'all have an awesome week.